This is the Diverse Leaders Conversation Podcast. The only podcast for diverse leaders and founders. With your hosts, Dawn Morton-Young and Kat Wildman. The Diverse Leaders Conversation Podcast. Starting up and rising up against the odds. So, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for agreeing to be part of the Diverse Leaders Conversation. Um, And if you just want to tell us, first of all, who you are and what you do. Thank you for having me, first of all, Dawn. So, my name's Hannah and um, I am a resourcing and EDI leader in the automotive sector. So, I've always worked in um automotive retail or the construction sector so always kind of sectors that have always been um i guess underrepresented when it comes to diversity so that's kind yeah. of my, my quite male dominated or historically male dominated <clears throat> sectors yeah and and also not really diverse when it comes to ethnicity either i think um yeah. from the sectors that i've been in so that that's me i guess yeah okay enough. so how do you think, just jumping right in there as we do, um, how do you think that your journey has been different from others who maybe don't have your diverse characteristics? So I think um, from, I'm quite intersectional. So I always, um, so I've got hidden disabilities. So I think for me, it's always been having to justify, I think, from from a hidden disability point of view where, you know, when I sometimes when I park my car and I put my blue badge up and people go, you're not disabled, you know, mm. you're not you're not in a wheelchair, you've not got. Um, and I do use a walking aid sometimes now because it has progressively got worse. But having to justify yourself quite a lot where actually, you know, just because I'm, I'm not in a wheelchair, it's not visible. People don't think you are disabled. Um, but my journey also, you know, I've had to employers have lost out on me because they couldn't be flexible and here we are now in a world where you know people are working remotely and and it can be done so but also think so I'm just going through like an ADHD diagnosis which you know what's really brought to light for me is that actually I know I've got ADHD um, but the diagnosis itself is going to take about three years because of the waiting list that that it takes for for it to happen Um, so you can almost see that it you go through a period of grief, of, of mm. mourning, of the fact that what you could have achieved had you have had the support, everything. But you, it almost feels like there's a weight that's been lifted because you now know that everything makes sense. But then you go through a, actually, had I have had this support through my schooling, through the workplace, what could I have been? And it's a real mixed bag of emotions. Um, but then you also have this thing where everybody thinks that they know what you need. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes you don't even know what you need because you're still figuring it out yourself. You still, yeah. you know, but then there's also that moment that actually I've got as far as I have just by being me. I'm I'm, I'm pretty good. I know what I'm doing. But th- th- there is a real mix of it's a it's kind of you, you're almost mourning yourself. Yeah. Um, but then you also have the the ethnicity balance, the, the 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 barriers that you have, and then you have the barriers that you're a woman. So it's a real for me. It's been a real intersectional. It's the intersectionality approach. of it, yeah. 
yeah, yeah 100%. But, yeah. Um, just a couple of things that you said there. So the bit that you said in society about having hidden disabilities and perhaps, you know, people not recognising that. I mean, I you see a lot more now signs that say things about not all disabilities are visible. And I think that there is becoming a change in understanding. But I do um, definitely empathise with you on that in the sense that so my youngest daughter has a very rare genetic condition. So she has poor coordination, balance, partial sight, lots of different, she goes to special needs school, etc. So we have a blue badge. But there'll be a lot of times that, say, for example, we're going to an appointment or we're going somewhere, it could be the cinema, wherever it is, and I will drop her and one of her older sisters outside so that she's nearer to the door. So I'll drop them right outside and then I'll go and park the car. But I will park the car in the disabled space if there is one available and I'll put the badge up and I 100% get the same things because I think that and that is why a, a lot of some of the work that I do is around advocating for um, parent carers particularly in the workplace but I think that there is no there is no consideration of carers that may be using the the obviously they're in the car they're driving the car for somebody and you know part of me just thinks people just need to mind their own business sometimes <laughs> you know <laughs> if people would do that because I shouldn't have to explain myself I shouldn't have to say you shouldn't have to explain yourself to someone and say x y and z um so yeah i think that there is changes in society and hopefully that will continue but the other thing that i wanted to pick up on was where you were talking about um if you had had the support for your dyslexia or you know whatever your other neurodiverse traits if you'd had that those um that support earlier and uh, we were, uh, that's the conversation i was having yesterday um as i said ironically with another hannah where um she we we came to the conclusion that in society the law the government whatever whoever it is that they don't act until something is really in their face so we were talking about dyslexia and saying that now it's much easier to get uh, a test done but it's still so expensive however there's a lot more children that have been diagnosed earlier than what would has happened with a lot of adults who grew up with it with no support um and i said but that's because it was becoming so um, prevalent that they couldn't ignore it. And so, so she was talking about also having symptoms of dysgraphia and other things, but there being no tests and there being no help for those things. And it's because they're not as apparent or they're being squashed in with other things. So it's not actually being recognized. And I think it's the same with your ADHD um, testing and your, you know, your diagnosis for that is although there are adults with ADHD, the support is for children in the mainstream. And I think that the recognition that people could be adults with ADHD is something that is uh, blossoming now. Um, yeah. And it and it show and I think so a lot of women now and women of colour uh, it's showing uh, are getting diagnosed later in life now because it doesn't show up the same way. So right. a, a lot of boys, so girls are not hyperactive. They're not jumping around. So the symptoms of ADHD that that show up in women are different. So the symptoms are masked as a child. So you know I never was jumping around. I wasn't you know fidgeting and. I'm, those are not my symptoms they still aren't my symptoms mm. um, so they were never and, and that's why so many women now later in life are being diagnosed with ADHD because they were never 
said to young boys do get diagnosed earlier because the symptoms are different and they're only just figuring that out now so women are getting diagnosed later and we also know about the inequalities in the healthcare system for women of color as anyway anyway so that the symptoms are showing up differently for women later in life which is why women are now getting diagnosed in their late 20s their 30s their 40s because the symptoms just show up differently yeah so you know that because you know we we aren't hyperactive we aren't jumping around and, that, and that's what that and i think that's because i think they thought that boys were more prevalent of having adhd because you didn't see girls that were presenting in the same way and i think that's now we're learning that that's not necessarily the case and it's worrying because when you think of even now looking at what's happening with things like menopause in the workplace and, and suddenly it now being recognised as, yeah, it's actually a disability going through menopausal symptoms. And I know I'm going through perimenopause at the moment early. And well, we say early, guess my body said it was time. Um, but yeah, so um, and then you've got the stuff around uh, menstrual holidays and things at least being discussed. But if you think that women have been having periods and menopause since the beginning of time and that it's taken to 2022 for that to be discussed, then when we think of this recognising that women have different needs, even within disabilities, neurodiversity, whichever way you want to talk about it. If I was a pessimist, I would be saying it's going to be a long road for us to be able to get the treatment and the support that we need. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and this is the thing is that when you look at it, things show up differently for different people. So, yeah. um, and again, it's it's how do we support each other? Because there are, there are, again, different disabilities that show up in different communities. And how do we... How do we look at how we support those and how do we recognise? And again, I really think it's having that people-centric approach because yes. what, you know, I've spoke to other people with ADHD and they've gone, you know, actually this is how I, you know, work through it and what they've told me to do. I can't even bring myself to, to start doing what they do because my head just won't allow me to do those. I'm yeah. certain. So what works for one person won't work for everybody. Everybody, it's it's really just having a people centric approach. approach. To, but I think you know, yeah. ultimately, there is there is something out there that will help somebody. But how do we? support someone to find that 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 that, that bit that is going to help someone. and that's the, the giving that person the space isn't it so that's one of the reasons why i started this uh the coaching in the niche that i coach in because there was nobody that was kind of coming at it from a sense of people that from diverse groups people from minority groups uh, we come from a different place the mindset is different our experiences are so different that what you might typically um be saying to uh i don't know what we would call a white middle-aged male or somebody um it's not gonna land in the same way for us we're not gonna maybe connect with it in the same way and so having a, a, a coaching program or a mentoring program that kind of understands why you know women may feel diminished 
in the boardroom or in a, a leadership situation um, or why they may feel like they need to act as if they are like a man to be heard or to be seen or why people from ethnic minorities may give up because they've been told all their life that they have to work 10 times harder than somebody else to get to the same position. And if you've been told that all your life, sometimes you're tired. I don't want to work 10 yeah. times harder. Why should I have to? But you need somebody that understands that those are the mindsets that you're coming from and appreciates that to be able to then coach them through it really and mentor them through it. And so that's why I do what I do. But I think that that's exactly what it is. It's about the people-centric approach and not just taking one of my biggest bugbears with organizations is that they think, Oh, we can do a strategy. We've done a strategy about ED and I, and that means that we've covered stuff. And it's like that strategy has to be living, breathing, evolving, because what you're going to have to do is start to put out initiatives, start to do the work and see how it lands, see what difference yeah, yeah. it makes. And if it's not making a difference, you go back to the drawing board and you start again. Right, and yeah, that yeah. is, you know, and that's kind the of experiment. It's an experiment. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly that, because you're learning about different sets of people and we are learning all of the time. Even in the conversations I'm having now, I'm learning so much more about things that I thought I knew about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, <sighs> we could be here all day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so is your day-to-day -day work experience affected because of your diverse needs or your diversity? Yeah, I think anybody that has um, is in a minoritized group, absolutely. You know, I think we'd we'd be lying to say it wasn't because we're always trying to break down the barriers. You know, we're always trying to work through barriers, like you just said. You know, when we've been told our whole lives you've got to work ten times harder to get to just the same as you know somebody that isn't. Yeah. It's exhausting, it yeah. is, and you know you do have those days where you go. Actually, I just don't want to. I just want to be seen. I just want to be heard. I just want to be able to walk up a flight of stairs without being exhausted. I just want yeah. to get to jump on the train like everybody else. Um, I don't want to be the person that has to keep putting my hand up, going. Actually, have we thought about this? Have we thought about that? And I don't want to be the troublemaker that keeps bringing things up because nobody else has thought about, it. you know, it's, it is exhausting. It is exhausting. Yeah. Um, I don't want to have to think about my tone all the time. I don't want to have to worry about saying the wrong thing. That in itself is a job. Yeah. That in yeah. itself is a job. Wondering how you're going to come across every day. Wondering about when you come out, go, oh, did I say the right thing? Oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Oh, my God. So how is that going to be said? That, I don't think people actually, they don't have to worry about that. Think about the mental toll that that takes, but also the societal issues that we have to deal with as well. Um, and then taking, like, I think a lot of organisations tell people to bring their whole selves to work, and that. That's a real bugbear to me because when we ask people to bring their whole selves to work, we have to be really mindful of what's going on in the world right now. Yeah. Because if you ask me to bring my whole self to work, I'm going to bring all my mess into work. Like my whole self is a whole lot of mess. Yeah. And I need to be safe enough to bring my whole lot of mess into work because the world is a messy, messy place right now. And it needs to be safe enough and you need to be okay 
for me to bring my mess into work. And there's some days where I ain't just going to, I'm not going to want to talk to anyone. I'm going to be angry. Yeah. I'm going to be furious. And if you ask me why I'm angry, I'm going to ask you why you're not. Yeah. Um, and, that, and, that, and that is the reality because it's a, it's a sad, it's a scary, it's a furious, like I'm furious some days. Um, and that, that's what it is. And that's when, you know, when you're asking people that are, you know, ethnically diverse, people from the LGBTQ, some days we are furious because the world it makes us furious some days. <laughs> Yeah. What support have you had from organisations, if any? Um, so I, I, I always talk about one um, leader that I had when I started my career. And, I, and it was actually only a few weeks ago that I really, really um, reflected on this, actually. So it was when I started my career and it was when I was really reflecting on, you know, like going through my diagnosis and, and me, you know, being me, um, he was amazing. And I think he said something to me around, you know, and actually, I actually met up with him not long ago for, you know, we just, well, we had a, we had, we sat in the garden and we, we, we ate some snacks and whatever. Um, and we were talking and he said something that was really, really important. He said, when you have somebody in the room that is, you know, really outspoken, because I am like, outspoken, you know, brash, or, you know, they say that person, and all the connotations that come with people like us, he said, always look at the person who's leading that person because they're doing a great job because they're allowing that person to be who they are. Um, I love he, that. He always, he always had my back. And every time I would be, you know, whenever I dealt, had to deal with microaggressions or whatever, I'd always turn around and he'd be behind me. But there would be days where, you know, I'm not comfortable with, so I wouldn't, well, I wasn't comfortable with data, data. Was, and now that I have, I'm going through this ADHD stuff, I know that's why it all makes sense why I wasn't comfortable. The way with that data. you process things. Yeah. Differently. And, you know, we would sit in, um, you know, I'd have days where I'd cry. I'd cry because it would be so overwhelming. And he'd just let me cry out. He'd like sit there and maybe go get a cup of coffee. I'd cry out. And they'd come back and go, right, we're going to do this now. And we'd put it up on the whiteboard. And I remember doing the, um, do you remember, like the insights, the colours. I was always sunshine yellow. But by the time he had coached me, I was equal sunshine yellow and I was blue data. But he spent that time. But one thing is, he never asked me to change. Mm. Never, ever asked me to change. He always allowed me to be me. He always championed me, whether I was in the room, outside the room. But he never, ever asked me to change. Always had my back, no matter what. And he was such a human leader that he yeah. just set the foundation for me of what leadership is. And it was only now, and, you know, like, he came to my wedding. I've always, like, he'll always have this, he'll always be on a pedestal for me because, yeah. for me, he just allowed me to be, but he just gave me this safe space to make mistakes, to break when I needed to break, put me back together again, just believe like you know he never well he did make me feel different he made me feel like I couldn't there was nothing I couldn't achieve yeah but when I and but when I messed up he'd be there behind me and because I had that I didn't mess up but you know I could be you know if someone said that oh you know she's she's come across in this way he'd be going well did you interpret it in the wrong way because I mm. and he'd just have my back um, yeah. and that was really really important and that's that's the best support I've ever had 
in my life. Yeah, because I think a lot of the time we feel like we're alone. And I know that I noticed earlier on you were saying I was going to slip into a bit of coaching with you earlier on, actually, when you were saying talking about um uh oh, have I said the wrong thing and coming out and second guessing and, and that is a big thing because we because we're trying to be palatable and because we know we're different and because we know that maybe how we live our lives is different to a lot of the people that we work with, we do this assimilation thing. But I said to somebody the other day, why is it that we always try to diminish ourselves to make other people less embarrassed or to make other people less. So I was talking to um, her and it's somebody else that we've had a conversation that one of these conversations with, and she was saying in her business, she's got dyslexia in her business. Somebody uh, sent some information over to her and they sent it in an Excel spreadsheet and she can't look at it with the lines. So I said, did you ask them to, uh, re to copy and paste it into a Word document and resend it back. And she said, oh, no, I would just do that. She said, oh, I've never asked anybody to resend me the information. And I'm like, why? And she's like, oh, you know, because I know that they'll be embarrassed. And I'm like, but then how do they learn? And how yeah. do you make sure the next time that you get the information in the way that you need to get it? And so there's a lot that I'm thinking about at the moment about that very thing. The fact that we are, we are the, let's call it victims, we are the victims, but we are trying to work out how to make the perpetrator feel better for perpetrating. Yeah. Yeah. And when we think about it from that angle, it's kind of like, actually, I should be just saying these are my wants and these are my needs. And the world should just be learning that these are my wants and these are my needs. And I think that I think there's also that... Um that's that space where you go actually i don't know what my wants and my needs are just yet but just just bear with me while i figure or help figure me figure it out, out. yeah help me yeah. figure it out because i i don't know what they are just yet and you know while i'm figuring it out and i think there, there is that fear i think especially when it comes to the neurodiversity that actually when i tell you you're going to think i'm less than capable yeah that's what she gonna, said. She said people think I'm stupid. Yeah. Are you yeah. are you going to think I'm less than capable? Are you going to think, oh, you know, actually there is because there is a stigma around, you know, whether you know, diverse. Oh, you're going to think are you going to take things away from me? You're going to think while well, I'm figuring this out, or actually that means you can't do that. So I'm just going to give it to somebody else. Um, so your workload is going to go, and suddenly you know, things just start dipping off, and you know, things will go to somebody else. And then, Next time there's a promotion that comes up, that's not going to go to you because you're, you know. And because you're not performing at the level of somebody else because what they've done is taken away your work rather than support you to do it. Or they just don't understand, you know, actually, because you, you might not work in a, a different way. So with, with um, ADHD, when somebody is hyper-focused, they are. So and actually it might mean putting extra support around, you know, where things that are, you're not hyper-focused on build a team to support that person with the stuff that you know that they're not great at or they're not going to be hyper-focused in. So if it is menial yeah. tasks, put, give them an extra resource. Or But where they are hyper-focused, they're going to give you something spectacular and yeah. amazing. So it's about actually, again, like I said, it's that people-centric approach. So if you know somebody is great at project management and they're hyper focused they're going to give you something amazing take their admin away from them get an, get an administrator or put that somewhere else because that's that's what's going to slow them down because they're going to get adhd paralysis because if you give yeah. them a menial task 
they're going to be flour and that will just wipe them out. Where actually, if you give, put that somewhere else, give them, give them an administrator to take those tasks because they will thrive and they will give you, you know, 12 hours worth of work in four. In because four. that's where they super focus. But this is that, but that's the bit, isn't it? It's about the understanding of that. So because we're kind of taught that uh, disabilities and neurodiversity are, um, problems rather than looking at them from a side of strengths and i think that's that is the bit isn't it it's about um educating employers of the strengths of people with and i know they're seeing it now with people that have asperger's and and you know hiring them to do things that that involve data and coding and all of that kind of thing because as you said they will just sit there and do it and they won't be you know um but i think it's around that understanding of the gifts so that they appreciate that and don't think, Oh, if I have to get another administrator, this person's costing me money and they realize how much money they're saving and making them. And I think that's part of the education. And I'm, I'm actually, that's part of what I'm hoping that these conversations do is for them to get an understanding of, you know, when you're supporting people with diverse needs, you're actually investing in your business. You're not taking away from your business. So I think that that's, that's important. Um, and I think if you, if you told someone that, you know, Richard Branson's got ADHD um, and they said, would you invest in him? Would, would they, would they say yes? Would they, would they say, let's give him tasks that he doesn't really need to yeah. do or let's focus on his innovation? Yeah, yeah, and and his people and his uh, ability to um, engage people as well because yeah. he's got a really personable nature. Yeah. Um, so, what general barriers? I know we spoke about that a little bit. Um, what general barriers have you faced? I guess with your disability, we spoke a little bit about in society with people not recognizing because your disabilities are hidden and things like that. But um, in terms of, is there anything else that you would think say that uh, would be a barrier to you more generally? I think again, it's just you know race barriers that you have. Again, you know, back to the the disability barriers I think you have like with the blue badge and stuff like that. I think yeah. there was a there was a time where I just it had happened to me three times in one week and I was with my husband actually and he was driving and I put my badge up and the looks that we got I just had a moment, you know, where you just go, I've just had enough and some woman just literally just rolled her eyes at me and I just I'd had enough and I just <laughs> I probably shouldn't have, but I just literally, I thought I went up to her and I just said, have you got a problem? And yeah. she's like, what? I said, I said, you've just rolled your eyes at me because I put, because she'd assumed I didn't have a badge. And then she saw I put my badge and, and you almost see people roll their eyes. You put the badge on and then they roll their eyes again as though it's probably not hers. It's stolen said, or yeah. Yeah. And I said, have you, have you looked at like what what's wrong she was like nothing I said but you rolled your eyes at me I said because I parked in this I said so if you've got but I said let's have a conversation let's talk about it because you've clearly made a judgment on me because I've put a badge in there but like if you've got a problem like I'm here let's talk about it yeah and she didn't want to have a conversation but it's so tiresome when you literally just want to go to Boots to pick up your prescription 
or you just want to go and get your, your bananas from the shop like whatever yeah. whatever it is you want to do and then you've really, got people really placing judgment on you but then you know Hannah that's something that I guess we have anyway with or without a disability just from being what we are um whether that's being female or being from an ethnic minority background is that people do just look at you and not I, I get it all the time you know and it's only when I open my mouth and I start to speak to them and they think that there's a semblance of intelligence that I'm taken seriously so um you know I think it's it's a sad thing but it's something that we are still kind of dealing with on a daily basis and I think this is the, and I had a conversation with somebody around and someone said to me you know Hannah you can't see injustice um he said, you, you've got to, you know, when you've seen injustice, you've got to do something about it. And, and somebody said to me, I like to you know, put my phone away and not look at it. Um, and I said, actually, that that's a privilege that you have. Because, you know, when I go to the supermarket, so I went, me and my husband went to the supermarket three weeks ago and we got our shopping thrown at us. And then when I tap my card on the machine, you know, when you tap it and then they say, please put the card in that the assistant felt the need to say, you need to put your card in the machine at the top of his voice because we think you've stolen it at the top of his voice. No way. Um, in front of everybody. And then I said, pardon? And he said it again, even loudly. I said, so, you know, as much as I might, even if I do turn my phone off and don't look at it, you live it every day after yeah, Brexit. Yeah, that's after Brexit, after Brexit, somebody again at the shop said to me, yeah, have you seen the result of Brexit? Won't belong to you lot are gone and you're not here anymore. These are stuff that what we area have... of England? We're about I live in the... I live in Northampton, so it's a predominantly white area. So these yeah. are, this is it's not that um you know, you would have thought it's not that um... it's got better, but it's yeah. just, but these are the these are the, so as much as if and if I turn my phone off and I don't look at it, to go and get your onions and your peppers and your, your bread you can't stop living it this is the yeah. reality for us so you know to just turn it or turn off to it isn't a it's it's not an option so to see something you, we can't just not say it because it's life it's life yeah. and that's that's the reality and they're the barriers that you know and for me i guess we're kind of used to but i'll be damned if my children have to deal with that I'm, yeah I, I'm, I'm not, I've got, you know, I, my nieces, my nephews, my children, if they turn around to me and say, well, what did you do? I can't be the person that says I did nothing. Nothing. I, I stayed silent. Absolutely not. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm really one of, that believes that people are placed here for a reason and that passion that we have to fight against injustice and to talk about stuff and to try to support each other. It's been put into us for a reason and, and for some sort of impact to be made in the world. So just um, last couple of questions. So what advice would you give to others um, to help with their career journey? So other people that might be coming up with that, that could be facing the same things as you? Um, I would just, I think the biggest thing for me is um, build your network. Build your network um, is the most, so LinkedIn is a great way. Um, don't feel like you have to know the people. Uh, I know that sounds really weird, but don't feel like you have to know the people face to face or you've got to have met them. build your network. It's amazing how many, I would even say friends now that I've made. Um, yeah. Some people here yeah, across the pond, like all over the world, uh, build your network because there is so much um, care 
there is so much you know learning people will share their learning but also they'll be, you'll build yourself a safe space so yeah. it's amazing how much people will be there to comfort you to share their stories with you so build your network um and then when you are looking for jobs and stuff that also helps as well with the network yeah so one of the things that I, I teach as well is around building your network and how to do that because we didn't um, often have the opportunity like some of our counterparts would have done to get work experience from people that owned businesses or go to certain schools and make friends that would help later on in life. So, um, yeah, some of the stuff that I do is around that whole building effective and quality networks, really, that can help you as you go along. So, yeah, I think that's great. Um, and the other thing, the last thing is, if there was one thing that an organisation could do or something that you've seen done um, to support you, what would it be? I think, again, it's that people, I think it's, um, I always say to people, I say, you know, so I obviously work within the ED and I feel, but for organisations, they are so worried about getting things wrong so they don't do things, they just wait or... I always say you don't have to be an expert to care. Yeah. Like, just care. Be authentic. Um, and I always say for people, so people are really worried about getting things wrong, their uncomfortability, their discomfort, but they often don't think about the, the empathy and the discomfort of the person who is different to them and how they might feel walking into a room of people that are not like them. So everybody else is the same. You're the one that's different and you're walking to them. So flip your discomfort to the person that is different to you and imagine how they're feeling for a minute. Mm. Um, and if you do that, the, the amount of power that will give to and the amount of empathy and all of that 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 one person will feel just for a minute um, and just look at who you're being a cheerleader for. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great. I think what COVID has done and what the pandemic has done is really um, forced employers to see their employees as human. When I got into HR, I got into HR because I felt like people spent the majority of their day at work. And how could I help to... Uh, help businesses to help their employees who essentially are spending so much time there um, and making those places a place that they belonged, a place where their mental health was supported, a place where their well-being was supported, and also have that strategic angle of being able to help businesses make money through their people, essentially. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that having that having that time in the pandemic where we were on zoom calls and seeing people's kids running around and you know things was happening um i think that that's really helped organizations to see employees more as a more human more, more as a human being <laughs> rather than just somebody that they work with or that they lead or boss around um so um, i'm hoping that that goes to change that all in the future so I just wanted to really say thank you so much thank you. for joining us.